know not everybody here is married. I know that not everybody here will get married. Uh, some of us are married. Some of us used to be. Some of us are divorced. Some of us are single by choice. Some of us are 12-year-olds. We all run the spectrum here. So if you happen to fall into one of the, the not married categories, don't, don't tune this message out. Don't think it doesn't apply to you because the principle that we want to explore today, it really can apply to a lot of different relationships. And, and also you could use the, the, what we talk about today to encourage and to strengthen other people's relationships. It's an easy thing for you to be able to, to pass on to other people, your friends, your kids, uh, your siblings, all those sorts of things. So this message has, has broad application. And today we're going to learn... One, one metric, one way we can know and, and achieve a healthy marriage. One thing we can do to help our own marriages or help another person's marriage to not just survive, but to really thrive. And as we explore this, this critical principle of marriage, we're going to be using the life of King David as a, as a face to the story, if you will, sort of a case study in marriage. If we could spend years talking about David, his family dynamic, the way he relates to his wives, plural, uh, the way he relates to his kids, but we're just going to pick out a few lessons from his life and, and find out what they have to teach us. And I know one of our adult Bible classes has been exploring the life of David, and some of you are already well-versed in that. Lots of great things to learn there. Uh, but today we're going to look at one particular relationship, the relationship between David and his first wife, whose name was Michael. Even though this relationship happened centuries ago, this story is really one that could be told today in many ways. There's so many elements to their relationship that are, are common to a lot of marriages. And their story helps us uncover this critical principle that can guide every single one of our marriages, not just to, to survive, but to really thrive. So we're going to focus uh, not just on one Bible passage this morning. We're going to be surveying the entire relationship of David and Michael. And it starts in 1 Samuel 18. 1 Samuel 18. You can turn to that and uh, follow along if you want. 1 Samuel 18. And the book of 1 Samuel, that's in the Old Testament right before 2 Samuel. It sits in between uh, Judges and Ruth on the one side and First and Second Chronicles after that. So if you find Judges and Ruth, keep going forward. If you find Kings or Chronicles... Keep going backwards. By the time you find it, we'll probably have moved on to another chapter. <laughs> but while you're finding that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let the cat out of the bag a bit. I'm going to give you the end principle uh, right now, the big idea, so we can be looking for it as we watch it play out in this, this marriage between David and Michael. And the end principle, the, the key to healthy marriages, this is a fascinating idea. I don't get the credit for it, but I've benefited from it several times in my own marriage. Uh, my wife and I, we talk about it all the time. And I've shared it with all the couples I've counseled, whether it's premarital counseling or, or some other marriage counseling. I always share the same thing. And I share what I'm about to share with you today. I, I always share it because it's so helpful. It's so simple and it's helpful. And really one of the, the reasons it's so helpful is because it's a, it's a summation of like 40 years of marriage research. I mean, all kinds of different marriage research, whether it's faith-based research or uh, uh, research that's secular in nature, it all ultimately kind of points to this same principle. And that's because all truth is God's truth. I mean, the Bible tells us God is truth. Anything that's true originates ultimately from God, and that's the case with this very healthy marriage principle. So here, here's the principle. To have a healthy marriage, you need to make more oneness choices than erosion choices. Let me explain what I mean. A oneness choice, that's a choice, that's a decision, an action that communicates to your spouse, I choose us. 
I, I choose our relationship. I value our oneness. We call that a, a green choice, to keep it simple. Green is good, right? Oneness. Now, an erosion choice, on the other hand, that's a choice that communicates to your spouse, I choose me. I value my own happiness, my own satisfaction over our relationship. So these choices erode the relationship over time. They're red choices. They're bad. Erosion. So that's it. It's it's very simple. Make green choices, build up that that green uh, bar of choices, and avoid red choices. So we're going to dive into this principle, understand it a little bit more, but first we're going to see it in action. We're going to see it play out in the life of David and Michael. And as we read, let's have a little fun while we work our way through this, this, this relationship. We're going to evaluate their relationship together. And when they make oneness choices, when they make uh, choices that put the relationship first or green choices, we'll just say green. And uh, when we observe them making choices that, that put the me first, uh, when they make those selfish erosion choices, we'll say red. So you get to be marriage counselors today evaluating this, this relationship. Uh, so you found your way to 1 Samuel 18. Before we look at that very first meeting, let's just set the scene a bit. That context is helpful. David is the same guy who fought Goliath uh, when he was young. You probably are familiar with that story at least a little bit. After he fought Goliath, he went to live with Saul, the king of Israel. And he had quite a reputation for himself, David did. And his reputation continued to increase over time. He became a high-ranking official in King Saul's army. He became so popular in Israel, they even made a song about him. Saul and David, the rest of the army, would go out into battle against the Philistines. And they were so successful that people would sing, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. I don't know how you put that to music necessarily, but that's what they sang. That was their song. So David was a hero, a national hero. He could really do no wrong in the eyes of everyone, everyone except King Saul. King Saul was was jealous of David, tried to kill him several times. But but this will give you an, an idea of the kind of guy that David was. King Saul tried to kill him. And then later, when Saul offered his oldest daughter, uh, Mirab, to be David's wife, this is how David responds. This is uh, verse 18. But David said to Saul, who am I? And what is my family or my father's clan in Israel that I should become the king's son-in-law? So despite everything, death threats, whatever, David still has all this humility, all this respect, right? I think that's very admirable. That's the kind of guy you want to be your son-in-law, right? Uh, So David, he doesn't end up marrying Mirab. But when Saul's younger daughter, Michael, becomes available, people convince David, hey, don't be so humble. Go ahead and marry the king's daughter. And so they get married, which means they got to figure out how to make this marriage work, right? So I want to examine just a couple of details about this relationship from the beginning. The text tells us two very important details about David and Michael. First, it tells us that Michael was in love with David. That's in verse 20. It shows up again in verse 28. Two times it mentions that Michael was in love with David. Now, let's be honest. Marriage in the ancient world, a lot different than it is in our world. So the fact that the Bible mentions that, that, that she loved him, that's significant. The Bible doesn't go on to say that David loved her, but I think, I think we can infer that by his actions. Saul asks him to pay a certain price for the privilege of marrying the king's daughter, and David pays double that price. He goes out of his way to show admiration, affection for her, really risking his life in a very dangerous way. So that's significant. I think think that's that's important. So what we have here really is like the, the textbook beginning to a marriage. Even though her dad doesn't like him, Michael is in love with David. He loves her enough to make some real sacrifices for her. He makes a green choice for her. It's, it's at the high school quarterback marrying the king's daughter, right? Uh, and now, now they've got some obstacles to overcome. 
They got some challenges, but they seem like they're willing to do what it takes to make it work, right? And isn't that how so many relationships start? Sometimes we're so in love, we don't even know the obstacles that we face, right? But really, at the beginning, a lot of marriages start off with promise. Uh, Each person setting aside their own rights for the sake of the other person. Each one learning what it takes to make this relationship really work. So we look at this story, and we can't help but feel like, hey, these kids are going to be all right. So I think they're both making choices that put the relationship first, right? These are green choices. So everybody say green. Okay, that was exciting. So their marriage so far, it looks pretty good. Take a look at this uh, slide. So this is, this is their marriage. It's, it's a lot of green, right? The very next chapter, chapter 19, reinforces the positive feelings we get about this relationship. If we look at chapter 19, there's a moment in which Saul's plotting to kill David. He sends some soldiers to David's house to kill him, but notice how his wife, Michael, responds. In verse 11, we learn that Michael had to make a choice between loyalty to her husband, David, and and loyalty to her father, the king. Michael gets word that these men are coming to kill David, and this is what the verse tells us. This is uh, chapter 19, verse 11. But his wife, Michael, warned David, if you don't escape tonight, you will be dead tomorrow. So she lowered David from the window, and he fled and escaped. Then Michael took the household idol, put it on the bed, placed some goat hair on its head, and covered it with a garment. When Saul's agents came to seize David, Michael said, he's sick. So this is a major event in the life of their relationship. They haven't been married very long, but Michael's willing to risk her life for David. She evaluates the situation, and she decides that that protecting their relationship is her first priority. She says, I choose us over everything else. So what kind of choice is that? Green, yeah, yeah, yeah. So when these soldiers come, they don't find David, and Saul confronts Michael. He says, why did you deceive me? And she lies in order to protect David. Now, I don't advocate lying, but I do think what we see in this story is that she made a commitment to their marriage relationship. She's protecting that relationship. She's putting that relationship ahead, even of her own uh, desires, her own safety, you could say. That's pretty big. So she's made another choice, uh, another green choice here, right? She's building up that, that green bar of choices. That's a mark of a healthy relationship. So that green bar is growing for them, and their relationship is starting to thrive. So we continue following their story. David, he's now on the run. They're, they're, they're physically separated from each other. And as a result, we don't hear a lot more about their relationship for a while. But what we do read about in the next few chapters is David on the run from King Saul, living out in the wilderness. Uh, needless to say, that doesn't give either one of them an opportunity to make a lot of green choices. But there's one story we've got to mention. It's a big moment for David. David's out in the wild. He's living on his wits. And he gets some help from this woman named Abigail. This is in chapter 25. You can flip to that if you want. Abigail, she's so friendly. She's so helpful to David. They form a little bit of a relationship. Then Abigail's husband dies suddenly. And David jumps on the opportunity and he marries Abigail. Definitely a a red choice moment, needless to say. David's not choosing his relationship with Michael as a priority. He's simply being selfish. And you could justify it all kinds of different ways, whatever. But the reality is it's a selfish choice. It's a red choice. So here's their relationship now. The red increased quite a bit. The green's decreasing, okay? Well, with this affair in the background, with David and Michael being separated for such a long time, we shouldn't be surprised when we read the next detail about their relationship. Several years have passed. Saul, the king who was trying to kill David, he dies. David takes the throne of Israel. So he and Michael are reunited, if you can call it that. Look at one more passage. This is 2 Samuel 6, just flipping to the very next book. 
2 Samuel 6. And David has organized a big celebration to commemorate his victory. Everybody in the whole town of Jerusalem turned out to party. But look with me at verse 16, 2 Samuel 6, 16. As the ark of Yahweh was entering the city of David, Saul's daughter, Michael, looked down from the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before Yahweh, and she despised him in her heart. So notice the descriptors here. She, she's only called the daughter of Saul, and he's only called King David. If we didn't read before that they were married, we'd have no idea from reading this. And here's David doing something he's passionate about. She doesn't even come out of the house to watch it. She makes no effort to say, I choose our relationship. I value the things that are valuable to you. So she makes what kind of a choice here? Red. Yeah, I'm going to pretend you said red. And I want you to notice the last words that the author gives us about this relationship. Look down to verse 23. And Saul's daughter Michael had no child to the day of her death. This is kind of an unusual detail to insert at this point. Some commentators have said that this is God's judgment against her bitterness, and I don't want to create the impression that infertility is a judgment from God necessarily, but we can learn from this inserted detail in their relationship. It tells, us, it tells me, more than anything, that David made no effort to reconcile with her. He, he doesn't take any time or energy to say, this relationship is more important to me than my own personal satisfaction. He just ignores her, refuses to have any kind of relationship with her. So these are more selfish choices, more red choices. So the marriage finally erodes, looks a little something like this. So how did this happen? How do we go from, from highly romantic, Hollywood-style young love to highly dysfunctional sham of a marriage? I've hinted at the answer, of course, with my my graphics here, but it really comes down to one idea. It comes down to intentionality, being intentional. When we keep making green choices and we stop making red choices, then our marriages can be healthy. But when we fail to be intentional about our marriages, we shouldn't be surprised if they erode. So part of having a healthy marriage is that we make green choices, choices that put the relationship above our own satisfaction, oneness choices. We have to make those choices more than we make red choices, choices that are self-centered. That's the big idea. But there's another important idea that follows. Notice David and Michael's relationship, it started with a lot of green choices, right? But the picture of their relationship at the end is all red. And that's where this marriage principle becomes so important. You can't bank green choices. You can't make green choices and just count on those to last and last and last. Over time, green will naturally decrease. That sense of oneness, that sense of safety and security in a relationship will naturally decrease. There's a natural drift towards red. Red choices, they happen naturally. We're all selfish people. We don't have to work to make red choices. In fact, we have to work to avoid red choices. That's our natural drift. But green choices take intentionality. So we have to choose green choices. And we have to choose them over and over again or else they they disappear. You can't bank them. If we're not continually building up that green bar, it disappears. We see that in David and Michael's life. They literally risked their lives for each other early on. But then after David's relationship with Abigail, just one red decision, big one, undoes all those green choices. Uh, Let me give you another example, a little less uh, dramatic example. But my wife, she loves for our bed to be made every day. And I don't care. It makes no difference to me whatsoever if I get into a made bed, unmade bed. You know, I was never in the military. Once I left my mama's house, nobody had to force me to make my bed. I don't care. But it's really, really important to my wife. 
So I work hard. I make an intentional choice to make our bed in the mornings when I'm you know, getting ready to go to work. And it's a green choice, a simple thing. doesn't cost me a thing, but it's a green choice. It's just a small choice that communicates to her, I value you. I choose our relationship. Now, if I were to stop making our bed, she would notice. She would notice I'd stop making that green choice and, and slowly decreasing that green bar each day, right? But now imagine she, she says something to me. She says, hey, you never make the bed anymore. Well, I could say, well... I made the bed every day for six weeks straight back in 2004. Don't you remember that? Your reaction tells me that that doesn't work that way, right? Over time, green choices naturally disappear. That sense of safety, that sense of security in the relationship, it naturally fades. You have to make green choices and you have to keep making them over and over. You have to be intentional. The natural drift is always towards red and away from green. And what's really interesting is that there's tons and tons of research on marriage that basically communicates the same idea. In fact, this this idea of intentionality, like I said, it's just a summary of of 40 years of marriage research. Whatever you find, it all kind of boils down to this basic idea. It ultimately points to the same thing, these little colored bars illustrated. The green bar is, is oneness choices, green choices that communicate, I choose us. An I choose us choice, a green choice, it might be something simple like, uh, like taking a day off work so you can spend time with your spouse doing something that they love. Not taking a day off to do what you enjoy, but doing something that with them. That's a, a, a sacrifice, a decision that tells your spouse, our relationship is more important to me than my own personal satisfaction. It says, I choose us. The green bar means you're willing to set aside your own selfish desires for the sake of the relationship. David made a green choice right at the beginning. He went out and got an extra set of foreskins for Michael. He didn't have to do that. In fact, it was very dangerous, but he was willing to set aside his own rights for the sake of the relationship. That's big. Now, please don't go and collect a bunch of foreskins as a gift to your spouse, but you can go out and make other green choices. And not every green choice has to be that big, right, or or bizarre. Even little things can be green choices. Making the bed without prompting, right? Being willing to come home from work and, and make dinner and even do the dishes because you know your spouse is tired. I mean, that's a green choice. Anybody would be happy to, to come home, change into our pajama pants, sit around all evening, whatever. But a healthy relationship, a relationship that's marked by intentionality, by a big collection of green choices, that's willing to set aside those self-focused desires and do what's necessary for the sake of your relationship. Green choices communicate to the other person, I choose us. But there is that other bar staring at us, that red bar. The red bar, again, represents what we call erosion choices. These are choices, decisions we can make that communicate, I choose me. And simply put, these are are selfish choices. Choices that erode that sense of safety, that sense of security in the relationship. Choices that put our own personal satisfaction ahead of the other person, ahead of the relationship. And just like a green choice, these can be big choices or these can be little choices. Uh, you come home from work, you put on your pajama pants, you crack open the newspaper or your social media feed, you don't lift a finger all night, well, that's a red choice. Because no matter how tired you are, what you've really communicated is, my satisfaction is more important than anything you've got going on. This is, by the way, one of the reasons that pornography is so dangerous. It's a really big red choice. It says, my personal satisfaction is all that matters to me. David made a huge red choice when he chose to marry Abigail. He put his own selfish desires ahead of his relationship with Michael. Talk about eroding the sense of safety and security in a relationship, right? 
But Michael makes her own red choice when she fails to celebrate David's victory. She communicates a complete disregard for him and what's important to him. And see, the more red choices we make, the more we erode the sense of security until the marriage becomes just an every man for himself situation. The more we make selfish choices, the more we communicate to our spouse, I'm only here for me, this relationship has little value for me. Well, the other spouse naturally is going to start to respond with red choices of their own. Michael's bitterness is a great example of this. I mean, realistically, she had every reason to be bitter. Her father was dead. Her husband, who had cheated on her, was out in the streets celebrating what a great guy he was. She had a lot of reason to be bitter, to devalue that relationship. But she compounds the problem when she makes a red choice. And at the end of the day, she's the one who suffered the most. That's the difficulty with red choices. They they naturally feed themselves. Once you start to make them, there's a a spiral effect, a downward spiral. So a few red choices is not going to signal the end of your marriage necessarily. But the more you communicate, I choose me, the more both people in the relationship start to make more and more red choices. And it's this increasing spiral effect that explains how a marriage can start off so strong like David and Michael's and end up in bitterness and disgust and fighting. Because of a red choice, if it's left unchecked, if one or both partners continue to pile red choices on top of other red choices, that sense of safety and protection erodes and eventually the entire relationship erodes. Nobody wins. Well, that's not the way God intended our relationships to be. And really, that's not the way we want our relationships to be. Nobody starts off a marriage thinking, I can't wait until our relationship erodes and we get to the point where we can't stand to be together anymore. We're just looking out for ourselves. No. Everybody starts off their marriage saying, I'm ready to spend the rest of my life with this person. So how do we keep our marriages from becoming just another statistic? How do we keep making green choices and eliminate those red choices? Again, intentionality is the key. If we do nothing Our relationship looks like this. It's a big bar full of selfish choices. And our green bar of I choose us just drains empty. We have to avoid making choices that communicate I choose me. We have to be intentional about making choices that communicate I choose us. So that first step is is eliminating red choices. So many marriages that struggle, people can look at their spouse and they say, oh man, she does this wrong or he always does that, it drives me crazy. But very few people are willing to look at themselves and say, oh, I do this wrong. So the first step in being intentional in our marriage is just to recognize our own selfishness. That's not easy to do, but it's critical. Look at the decisions you make through the lens of these two categories. Are they I choose us decisions Or they, I choose me, decisions. The next step after we can identify and kick those red choices is to find ways to keep making green choices. And there's a lot of different ways to do it, but I want to share one idea in particular that that helps all of us keep making continual, ongoing green choices. It's something that, that marriage experts call rituals. And when we talk about rituals, what we mean is something that's, that's repeated, something that's intentional, and something that is significant. And let me give you an example. When my wife and I were first married, we didn't have a lot of money. Now we're rich, but back then we didn't have a lot of money. So we didn't go out on a lot of dates. We didn't do a lot of special things together. We just couldn't afford to do that stuff. But one thing we did is we went to, to the grocery store together. We went shopping together, and that sounds weird probably, but it, was, it worked for us. And I'm not talking like, I'll take the cold stuff, and you go get the canned goods, we'll meet back here. I mean, we walked through the different aisles together, and we talked about our day as we shopped. So what started off as something that we could do just because we didn't have any money turned into a ritual. 
It became significant. It became repeated, something we look forward to. And eventually it became very intentional, even though it didn't actually start that way. Well, later on, our schedules changed. We got busier. We found we couldn't really go to the store together very often. It just didn't work. But I had a, a long commute to and from work at the time. So I would pick up the phone. We'd call each other and talk on the phone while I was driving. Well, this was great because it set aside time for us to communicate and care for each other. It provided a lot of opportunities for us to make green choices together. Uh, a pastor, a friend of mine, has a standing appointment. He has lunch with his wife every Friday afternoon. So no matter how busy he gets, he's got that in his calendar. That's a good ritual, right? So identifying, protecting rituals, it's a great way to make green choices over and over. You just put yourself in a position to make green choices. And a, and a ritual could be anything. As long as it's intentional, as long as it's repeated. Uh, a lot of couples like to go for a walk together, that sort of thing. That could be a ritual. But if all you do is talk about the weather, it's not really going to help. It has to be intentional. It has to be significant. Talk about your relationship, showing care for each other, things like that. So wh- whatever your rituals you can identify, the point is you've got to be intentional in your marriage or else gravity takes over and you end up with only red choices in a relationship that's eroded. So maybe you already got some rituals in place. Maybe you just need to tweak them a little bit to strengthen your marriage, start giving you those green choice opportunities. Um, Here's another example, another thing that comes from marriage experts. So this is a ritual you can use. They call it the the stress-reducing conversation. Everybody could use some of that, right? Uh, This is a great tip from marriage experts. At the end of each day, before you go to bed, before you get too tired, have a how-was-your-day conversation. And uh, these conversations should be a way for you to manage stress in your life that's not related to your relationship. So work stress, whatever, you know. Um, and here's how, here's how the stress-reducing conversation works. In these conversations, you don't want to talk about the tension between the two of you. You're going to have to do that some other time. You just allow each spouse to talk about stress from work or stress with the kids, whatever. Don't offer advice Unless your spouse asks for it, they're probably not going to ask for it. Uh, But just listen. Just listen to each other and offer encouragement. And your goal in these conversations is just to be able to communicate, I choose us. Sympathizing, uh, empathizing, all those kinds of things. And so you just take the time to validate the other person, validate their feelings. Well, just imagine what would happen in our relationships if we took time each day to create intentional, meaningful rituals that communicated to our spouse, I choose us, right? You'd build up that green bar over and over and over again. Now, let me give us all one more piece of critical information. So this is where the the secular research on marriages differs from the Christian principles. So for a a psychologist or a social scientist, they would look at all this information, this research-based finding, and they would say, okay, go get to work. Go make a healthy marriage for yourself. But the reality is there's a reason that we all default to red choices because we're all sinners, We're all selfish by nature. So if we're just working on our own to make a healthy marriage, we're we're still going to fail. We're still going to always default to red choices, selfish choices. For Christians, this research, this green bar, red bar stuff, it gives us hope. Because we know we're not in this fight alone. We can look to Jesus who made the most green bar choice of all. He literally died in order to secure our relationship with the Father. We can look to his example and we can rely on the Holy Spirit who dwells with us and guides us towards these choices, self-sacrificial choices that put the other first. I mean, if left to ourselves, we're going to fail every time. But if we keep ourselves focused on Christ, he empowers us to make green choices and to have a healthy, thriving relationship, not trying to force it on our own, but submitting to him and following the Spirit's lead. 
So there's two action steps for us and a, and a word of encouragement. We've got to identify and eliminate the red choices we make. We've got to identify and foster some rituals like the, the uh, stress-reducing conversation, things that are going to allow us to make red, uh, green choices. And we're going to rest in the reality that we can't do it apart from Christ at work in us and in our relationship, letting his spirit ultimately be the guide of our relationship. So as we close, I want to give you just a bit of time to think about this and kind of process this with your own relationship today. I want us to think about what we've talked about. You can look back through notes you might have taken. And, and as you think, you can respond in some very tangible ways. At the bottom of your notes, you're going to see three little tasks. Uh, the first one says, write down one red choice you make regularly or maybe one that you made recently. Just identify that. Start to identify those red choices in your life. And the second thing, it says, write down one green choice you can be intentional about. Look for that. uh, lock that in in your own mind and then write down one ritual that you might develop or one that you have that you might make a little bit better so i'm going to give you uh some chance to to do that and then let me encourage you too if you get a chance to go out to lunch or dinner today or tomorrow and discuss what you wrote down with your spouse start to have those meaningful conversations that intentionality is key so i'm going to give us all a moment to think about some of that right now make some notes and then i'll pray for us So hopefully you're starting to get some ideas on how you can apply this to your own marriage, how to make your own marriage stronger. You've got some language you can use. That's a big part of it too, that you've got a shared set of language that you can use to communicate. Just clear communication, talk about things that can be problematic in your relationship, red choices, green choices. So let me pray for all of us. God, we, uh, we thank you that you are a part of all of our relationships that uh, you never leave us alone, you never forsake us, you'll never make red choices uh, against us in our relationship. And so we want to just first and foremost submit ourselves to you, knowing that it's only through your son Jesus that allows us to even think about other people, much less act in a way that chooses other people above ourselves. And so we praise you for the way that you've modeled love for us, the way that you've given us the ability to love through saving us, redeeming us. And I pray for uh, all the marriages that are represented in this room, all the relationships that these principles can apply to, Lord. And, and, and uh, I just have a vision of uh, increasing marriage health in this room that bleeds out into more and more common grace for this valley. It gives us the opportunity to not just be... Uh, Uh, living our lives, going through the motions, but to be thriving in our relationships so that we have something to offer other people the hope that you've given us, Lord. And I pray that you would uh, uh, help us to have these conversations, uh, whether it's today or in the next few days, just to be able to communicate well and uh, to, to be frank and honest and make increasing green choices. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.